Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. So Romans chapter 1, that's where we're going today, okay? And I'm going to give you a quick overview of Romans before we get into it. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And so during the pandemic, I know everybody had a series that they probably watched, some little binge watching they all did. I mean, some of them were holy, some of them were the unholy. I don't know what all you got into. I mean, there's some crazy stuff out there, right? But I got into this series um, based on Sir Edmund Hillary, the guy that climbed with uh, Tenzing, uh, I can't remember his last name, but his Sherpa is his guide. They, they, too, they climbed Mount Everest. They were the first to scale that we have record of. I know it's people, whatever, but the first that we have record of, right? They climbed Mount Everest, and I got in this series. It was a docudrama about um, him and his family. And Haley, she could care less. She would follow us. She was like, I don't care anything about this. I thought it was cool. I mean, this guy, I just watched Free Solo, made my hands sweat. I was like, oh, these mountain people are crazy, like, you know? But this guy, the whole documentary about Mount Everest, 30,000 feet in the air, you know, that's as high as a jet airliner flies. There's very little oxygen. You're running on 60% oxygen. There's a point where you get what they call the death zone at Mount Everest, where basically you get to this little small stretch. It's like the Hillary step. It's the last little point to get to the top. That Basically, you're dying when you're there. Your body is actually physically dying on the mountain. You only have a short amount of time to get to the top and get down. You're dying. It's nuts. And they go up this thing, and this is what they're doing. And I thought about that, and I thought about the book of Romans and how similar these two things might be if I show you this other thought. Now, I've never scaled Mount Everest, but I have scaled Clock Tower in Rome, Georgia. (laughs) There's a big difference between the two, I'll tell you that. I'm going to show you a picture here. Let me show you uh, the difference between the two. One is at 30,000 feet at the peak. The one is, I don't know, above Broad Street. You go do the elevation on that. I didn't even check. It's, it, I know my oxygen level doesn't change. It feels like it's changing. Cause, <laughs> you know, but you can make clock tower, right? It's not a big deal. But the funny thing is about this, whether you're reaching to the peak of Mount Everest or to the peak of Clock Tower Hill, one thing's for certain, no matter who does what, you can climb Mount Everest or you can get to Clock Tower Hill, one thing is going to be the same. No matter which one of the mountaintops you get on, you're still not going to be able to touch the stars. You can work all day long and you can get to the top of the Mount Everest and you can say, I did it, but you'll never touch the stars. If you stand on top of Clock Tower Hill, you're still not going to touch the stars by far. And the point I want to say is that is this. Romans gives you this blueprint that says to you, no matter how good you think you are and no matter how far you think you've gone, No matter how many things you think you have achieved, you might be at the highest peak of the earth. You'll never touch the stars on your own. And if you compare yourself with someone who only climbs Clock Tower Hill and think that you're better, you still have not touched the stars. And the the correlation I'm making here is this. Without Christ, you don't get your destination. Paul says to us, You can do a lot of great things and think we've done something, but in the end, ultimately, we have to remember that it is Jesus Christ that works through us, that saved us and sanctified us and set us apart as holy, not ourselves. What we do is simply a byproduct of who we are that he created us to be. 
all of my good actions and my deeds, they're not based out of trying to get to the top of something. They're based out of a relationship. Two different trainings of thought. So in Romans, let's look at how Paul teaches this basic principle about Christianity that I think we must all get. Okay, so Romans chapter 1, verse 15. I want you to you keep your kind of finger there in Romans. We'll go through a couple of verses here. And then I'm going to put some on the screen for you. But Romans 1.15, and I'm going to read this out of the New King James because it's easier for me. It's just what I remember. It's just I've memorized it more. It helps me a little bit to just teach it. So as much as in me, Paul said, I am ready to preach. Everybody say preach. Important word, don't forget that. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Everybody say believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greeks. So in other words, whether you are on top of the mountain or you're on top of Clock Tower Hill, if you are a Jew or a Gentile, he said, I'm preaching to both. <clears throat> for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, I want you to say this together with me, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And in case you're wondering, well, who is the just? That would be you. If you're a Christian, you are the just. You are the justified ones. You are just in the eyes of God. Not trying to climb a mountain to touch the stars. You've already touched the stars because of Jesus. Don't have to try to get anywhere. I've already been justified in his eyes. By the grace of God, I am set free from the law of sin and death. That is where we are. So everything that we talk about today has nothing to do with trying to achieve. It has everything to do with what we're doing out of relationship. It's a life of faith. This word, the just shall live by faith. Paul, I'll put on the screen for you three verses just real, just so you can write them down. But these three verses in Habakkuk 2, 4, Galatians 3, 11, and Hebrews 10, 38. Those three verses, Paul uh, references Habakkuk, not just in Romans, but also in Galatians and in Hebrews. Because we believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Most people do. If you don't, that doesn't matter. You could be wrong if you want to, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> he probably wrote Hebrews. The, the, the style of writing is too similar, okay? He references this so much. If the Bible tells you something one time, it's probably important to pay attention. If it says it twice, you probably ought to look closer. Three times is enough to say, you know what, this is a big deal. If it's in there four times, it's redundant enough that it ought to be made uh, very, very real to us. The just shall live by faith. And in Romans 3.28, I want to read this and we'll go from here, okay? Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. Now, this is out of the New American Standard Bible. Remember, the just shall live by faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Regardless of the Mount Everest or clock tower, it doesn't matter. You're not justified by how high you climb. This is, I'm going to tell you, this is a, the basics of Christianity today. But I'm telling you right now, people are still confused about this. You do not gain ground with God by how high you climb up on the mountain. That is not moving the Lord. The Lord isn't moved by our acts of service, our acts of kindness, or anything else that we do when it comes to our position with Him. It is solely based upon the work of Jesus Christ. Period. Anything you add to that or take away from that, you are nullifying the finished work of Jesus Christ. That does not mean that I don't do the things I need to do. It just means that I'm not basing my faith and my position with God on how good I am at getting up to the top of the mountain. So he says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? So notice he's saying, as Gentiles now, 
See, you get to come into this. He says, is he not a God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. And since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, is one. So in other words, briefly, Jews believe that you must be circumcised, and all the boys were. But in the Gentile world, that was just foreign to them. They just didn't do that. And so what Paul was saying, it, it, not about the physical thing that you do with your body. This is a spiritual work of grace. And he says, do we, watch this though, verse 31, do we then nullify the law through faith? It means because we have faith in Jesus, then now is the law nullified. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to do away with, but I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That's an important mouthful of something that he just said right there. I don't have time to get into that, but anyway. But Paul says, may it never be that we would nullify the law of God through faith. On the contrary, watch this. We establish the law. Man, that is, what? Because you are justified by faith. Your belief in Jesus Christ who said, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. He's saying, look, you are establishing the law as a believer. Your faith, what you believe about God, tells people the truth or the false things that people know about God. How we talk about God. If we walk around and say, well, I'm just trying my best to get to heaven. You are watering down the gospel and making it of no effect. If you tell people that, well, I don't know. I mean, I hope one day. I really don't know if you get to heaven or not. You are you're a terrible Christian. I did say that. Yes, you're a terrible Christian. Because that is not what Jesus said, nor is it what Paul preached. If you want to be a great Christian, you'd be better off making mistakes and saying, look, I am a terrible Christian. When I, I don't know how to live right when it comes to things, but I know this one thing. As bad as I am, he keeps forgiving me. I know this one thing is this. He's still the Lord of my life. And I don't know why he took me in, but that's his problem. He bought me. He paid for me. He got the worst end of the deal he could ever get. All I know is he declared me righteous, and I'm just accepting that. You'd be better off as a believer telling people that. They think you're crazy. But at least it would be the truth and the power of the gospel would back up your words instead of some fake, weak, milk toast Christian that says, well, I don't know. I don't, that's awful. Just stop talking because you're a terrible preacher when you do that. And the preaching of the word, as we're going to see here right here, is more important than what we realize. So when we talk about being justified by God and living by faith, It's no excuse to ignore the law, but it's by living by faith as justified people, we reveal the law of God to people. When they look at you and they wonder why you're praying, it makes no sense to them, but they say, man, I don't get that cat, but they believe it. It's like Alabama fans. I don't get them, but they're crazy enough that they're all in loco bananas. I don't get them, but you know one when you see one, do you not? Watch this. Let me just show you. Just go ahead and say it. Get out of your system. All it took was a little bit. Oh, can I, can I say it? You know them when you, you know them. They don't care what's going on. They will tell you in a moment. They're in Alabama. I don't get them. Don't like them. I love them. But you know them when you see them. Why? Because they believe it's so crazy. They identify themselves with their team. So, what good 
is a faith in a righteous God if the people don't reflect him? What good is it? And I think the reason, reason we don't like to reflect God is because we're afraid, because we're not, we don't understand this principle. So let me show you something on the screen real quick. I'll put this slide up for you about Abraham. <clears throat> Abraham, watch this, was promised a miracle child. It was the seed. God said, I will bless you. All the nations are going to be blessed through your seed. Abraham had the promise of a miracle child. Mary, she had the miracle child, and he was the sacrifice. That was Jesus. Abraham was promised by God, you're going to have a seed. It's going to bless all of the nations. Promise. Mary has the fulfillment, but he's the sacrifice. Now watch the difference in the two, and here's you. We are a miracle child because of salvation. You are saved through the work of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ, and that's a done deal. So everything else we learn about going forward now is about the fact that we've been declared righteous. And let me just say this. You're not made righteous. There's a difference. You know, if I make something, I can make a table. But just because I made a table doesn't mean I declare, you're a table. It's, it was already a table. Making it is assembling it and cutting it and turning it and doing all the things and varnishing and all that stuff there. Well, I made that table. If you think you're made righteous, it's all about you assembling things and making it work. If you say you're declared righteous, then it's all just simply, I just accept it. It's a table. I didn't build it. I like it. I enjoy it, but I didn't do anything with it. I just am because Jesus says that I am. So if we're justified by faith, Paul gives us a lot of examples. I'll put this quote on the screen for you. This is from Dr. Henrietta C. Mears. She's got a great book, and I'm taking a lot of context from, from this. Not all, but a lot. Because it's so much to cover a whole book of the Bible in like you know 35 minutes. <clears throat> but Henrietta Mears says this, It's one thing to know how to become a Christian. It's another thing to know how to live like one. That's That's good. So in Romans chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Jesus Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never going to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now verse 11, watch what he says. Even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ. That means when Paul says in Hebrews to put aside the weight of sin so easily besets you, it throws you off. He is not saying you have to become this godlike ability to say, I will never be tempted again. You're going to be tempted. But what he's saying is put aside the sin consciousness of your thought life. Put aside this thing that keeps overwhelming you. I'm just not good enough. Well, I just don't know if I can keep up. I just don't know if I'm a good enough Christian. I don't know if I pray enough. I don't know if I do this enough. He's saying put aside all that. Be dead to sin and alive to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, I know, God, I can say all this junk over here. There's no faith. It's garbage. It's awful Christianity. But I'm just going to be scared as I'll get out and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, he didn't hit me. No. Because he's finally going like, well, that's my child. I'm glad they at least acknowledge what I've done for them. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's okay. You can say that. So he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That means when we come and worship, 
See, all week long, you've had a chance to point your finger at people and tell them what you think. They pull out in front of you, you might have done that. Just being honest. They pull out in front of you, they get in front of you in the line at the grocery store. What gives? You have a chance to point your finger. Hopefully you're just pointing your finger and not giving them any other sign language. You know, you're just pointing your finger, right? You get a chance to say and do some stuff with these hands that probably aren't very righteous. But when you come to church, guess what you get to do? Put aside all that mess. And he's saying to you, come to church, even if you're scared, and lift up your hands. Turn your eyes to him in a way and worship God so that you turn from that and turn to this. It's instruments of righteousness. In other words, use your body to glorify God. So then how can I live like a Christian and present myself to God in this way? Well, this is what I'm going to get back to. I just I wanted to lay a good foundation here. We have to learn how to live by faith. As a pastor, I can tell you top five conversations that, that come across my table as a pastor. And this is in the top five. People who cannot just accept what Jesus did for them. And live by faith. I'm not talking about trying to get you a car, a house, a, a bank account, or a jet plane. I'm not about getting stuff like that. I'm talking about living by faith. The belief in the fact that what Jesus did for us. How many times we struggle with this because we have sin. Well, I hate to tell you. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. <laughs> it's in the Bible. It's there. Go read it. It's in Romans. We all fall short. But the beauty of the gospel is... The just shall live by faith. Aren't you glad he didn't flip that sentence around and says, well, however much faith you have, then you can live just. Aren't you glad that he didn't do that? Because then it'd be based on how much you can believe for it. He didn't say that. He said, I'm declaring you just in my eyes. And as a justified person, you're going to live by the faith of what I just told you. You're just Deal with it. That's what he's saying. And the problem in our cultural Christianity is this. This is what's getting into so much of what we do is there's a statement that's been going around for a while now. And I guess I've heard it that I thought, well, maybe we should just talk about in church some. And it's this statement here. It says, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Have y'all heard this? Yeah, that might be true for you, but that's not true for me. You know, you might believe marriage is between a man and a woman. That might be true for you, but that's not true for me. Well, I know you guys talk about, you know, tithing in church. That might be true for you, but that's not true for me. I didn't like that one, okay. I, I, I know you might think, well, serving in church, that's, that might be true for you, but that's not true for me. You, you know, I'm just being honest with you. If it's true, it's true. Think about it for a moment. If it's true... It's true, not because I believe it's true, it was already true. So, truth is truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and it will, if it's not truth, watch this, you ain't going to help you get free. And the cultural Christianity says, I'll believe what I want to believe, I'll pick and choose what I like out of here. And then I'll live by that. I'm sorry. We don't get to do that. I don't get to pick what I want to pick and live by. I wish I did. Cause that whole vengeance is mine statement that the Lord says, you know, man, I like to take that right out of the Bible. 
Let me handle some stuff for you, Lord. Just let me. Give me about two days. I can fix some stuff. And y'all laughing because you know you could too. You, I bet three people went before your face thought, oh my goodness, I better help me, help me, Jesus. Like I just, pastor, go on before this. I can't get this out of my mind. The just to live by faith. The just to live by faith. You know, what am I thinking? But truth is truth. So if we're going to live by faith, how's it work? Well, there's a key back in Romans 1. I'm going to read to you again, okay? And then we'll get through this. Romans 1, 15 again. So much is in me, I'm ready to watch this, to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it's written. The just shall live by faith. Preaching, believing, and living by faith, they go together. And oftentimes, we, we sometimes forget about the, the power of preaching. And I'm not talking about because you're a preacher that's up here today. I'm talking about anybody that preaches the word. God has designed the foolishness of things for men. He's used the foolishest things of this world that the world says are foolishness. And he's used them to build his church. People look at preaching and they think, what is the point? It's just ridiculous. What's the point? Why would God? I wouldn't have picked preaching. If I was God, I would have picked some other method of getting his word out. To me, I would not have thought of preaching. But God did. God uses it. And why does he use this? Because it's overlooked so much. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Romans 10, 17. Watch what he says. So then, if the just is going to live by faith, watch this. Then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, or you could say the truth. See, a lot of times we think faith is something we drum up. and We think it's something we can have by, if I just pray for it, I'm going to get it. It's not true. We think that if we just, uh, if we will it enough, then we're going to get it. That's not how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. That's why when you come to church, isn't it true? Typically, when you leave, it's not everything the guy says or the gal says, but most time you leave and you're like, huh, even if you didn't hear what they said, there's something about it that pricks your heart and you go, I wonder about that verse of scripture. I was reading another day because preaching the revelation of God's word, it comes and faith is being built by the preaching of God's word. Every time you hear God's word, it does something to your faith. It begins to develop. It's not that you have to work up something. God gave you the ability to believe. It's just that if you don't put anything in to believe, you're going to believe what the world tells you. They're going to give you a whole bunch of stuff to believe that's not true. So why is preaching that? Why would God do this? Now, this is where I just want you to hold your finger there in Romans. I'm going to put a slew of scripture on the screen and just read them to you, okay? And then we're going to come back. So just hold your finger in Romans. Don't try to keep up with me on this next part. Just write these verses down. Why then is preaching so important? Why did God put an emphasis on preaching? And pastor, can you show me that it really is that important? I can. Let me start with Jesus in Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. From the time that Jesus began to what? He began, one of the first things Jesus did was preach. I know there's a miracle in Cana of Galilee, but if you look at that and look at the context, the timeline, and everything else, Jesus went about preaching and teaching. He also went about healing. But before people can ever get healed, what if you're walking to somebody, they don't even know they can be healed, and, and you're just looking at them? You think they're going to believe anything? You're going to walk by them like, because you're so glorious? Like, whoo, I got the anointing, whoo. Like, they're just going to jump on them? Oh, I'm free of leprosy. How'd that happen? Every person that Jesus talked to, when he healed him, he said, don't, don't say anything about me. 
Don't tell anybody right now because I'm not ready for all that. Don't, but they knew who healed them. The woman who touched the hem of his garment had the issue of blood. This lady knew because she had what? Heard about him. You don't get faith just because it just dropped on you from heaven. <gasps> Whoa. Stand back, everybody. I got some faith. Do you really? How'd you get it? I don't know. How do you know you got it? Because I feel it. You feel what? I got the goosebumps, baby. I got some faith today. You don't get faith like that. You get it from hearing God's word. And Jesus, one of the first things he went about doing was preaching and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. All right, I'm read through these next ones for you. And Luke, look at this. Luke 4.43. He says, but he said to them, I must what? Don't you think he could just go around healing everybody? Why did he even preach? If all he was going to do was heal people, why did he even preach? Because he was trying to get them to believe the truth of what God had already established in the Old Testament. He wanted them to know the truth. The Pharisees had watered it down so much and made it so legalistic that no one believed anything. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For what? I was sent for this. Did you realize that Jesus was sent to preach the gospel? Why? Because it was so messed up when he got here. He looked around and said, that is not what my daddy said. He did not say that, and he did not say that, and you have said this, and the traditions of men have said that, and y'all are more concerned about how you wash your hands and what grain you don't eat on the Sabbath than taking care of people who are hurting. He said, that's not my dad. And he cleared it up by the preaching of God's word. Let me go through these elements for you. Acts 4.18, watch this. One of the very first things the enemy wants to stop. You want to know what it is? Look at this. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. What does the enemy want to do? You want to know why? There's so much issues today with everybody wanting to come out and say, well, don't you say this? We want to get offended by it because they can't stand the truth. The enemy is so trying to stop us from saying anything. It's just shut up. Don't say anything about Jesus. Don't say anything about Jesus. Don't talk about the Bible. Even in Christian circles, if you even reference marriage sometimes, people get mad. I talk about man, a man and a woman is a marriage. It's not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And Romans will tell you that. And you need to stop feeling guilty about it. It's the truth. I'm not being mean, but Christians are a bunch of weak people right now. Well, I don't want to say anything to anybody. Well, I don't, you know, I don't either. But either we believe this or we don't. If we're not going to believe it, let's shut the doors and go play golf. Right? You either stand up for something and quit backing down. You don't have to be mean or rude. You don't have to be as loud as I am right now. I'm sorry. Back, let me compose myself. Let me just compose myself. You don't have to be an angry Christian. You can be polite and say, I believe that marriage is holy because God said it is holy. It is a reflection of the bride of Christ and his groom. And if you take away the sanctity of that, you take away the sanctity and the holiness of Jesus, the groom, and the bride, his church. And why do you think the world is wanting to do it? Because Satan says, stop talking about Jesus. Not only that, <clears throat> he wants to stop the preaching of God's word. Watch this. In Acts 4.31, when they got filled with the Holy Spirit again, Acts 4.31, it says, when they prayed, the whole place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And watch this. They began to do what? Well, if, I mean, if they so filled with the Holy Spirit, wouldn't that be enough? Apparently not. Apparently, God still wants his word preached. And... <clears throat> 
Acts 5.42. I'm going to read these to you kind of quick here. Acts 5.42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Every day. In their house and at church. In Acts Acts 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. In Acts 13, 5. Have I given you enough yet? I just want you to see how how important this is. Acts 13, 5. When they reached uh, Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God. This is after fasting and prayer that Barnabas and Saul was sent out. They went into the synagogues of the Jews... Oh my goodness, they showed up at the brother's church. What? That's what they did. They started preaching the word. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. 2 Timothy 4.1. Look at this. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Now look at this. So you may not feel the weight of this, but if you've got a, a real preacher, a pastor, a teacher, an apostle, anybody that's got a ministry gifting on their life whatsoever, they take this very seriously. If they don't, I don't have any time for them. Because to me, it's weighty. It's, it's a weighty thing. Pastor, why you got to talk about that? Because it's in the Bible. Piper, why, Pastor, why do you think... Oh, Piper, she, she's a nanny and papa. I'm, I'm missing that little rascal. Piper, uh, Pastor, why do you do this? Blah, 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 blah. Well, because it's in the Bible. Yeah, but Pastor, it's not, it's not... People don't like to hear that anymore. Yeah, I understand that. But this is what Paul told Timothy. I solemnly charge you... That means you've been given a responsibility uh, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Man, listen, that's heavy. Who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Watch this. He says, next slide please, preach the word. Very first thing he says, preach the word. Be ready whether people like it or they don't. That don't mean if you weren't prepared that means being for the season is favorable or not. It doesn't mean, hey, come up here and preach. That is not what that means. It means whether the time is favorable or not. People like it or don't like it, you preach the word. And he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction. Watch this, guys. Pay attention to this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, pay attention to this. Verse 3. For the time shall come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But they will want to have their ears tickled. And so they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their what? Tell me, that might be true for you, but it's not for me. Give me a preacher that gives me what I want to hear. And they'll turn away their ears from the... Come on, they'll turn away their ears from the... This is pretty serious. And they'll turn aside to myths... But you, Timothy, you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. That's just, I could give you many, many more verses on preaching. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you want faith, if you're going to be a just Christian and you've been declared just, justified in his eyes, you've got to know how to live by faith. You've got to believe this, not the world. This is true. The world is a liar. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. We were talking about the all this stuff our kids get taught. And we got great teachers in here. Don't think I'm picking on teachers. But in the system, all this stuff from evolution and all these advanced sciences and teach about carbon dating, how this happened and that happened, and the planets evolved from this, and a boom, and this. And it's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
We believe more in a guy that's going to die before he hits a hundred. Telts told us that the planet was 45 billion years old and it came from a speck of dust. How does he know? But we'll believe it because he's got a PhD. Don't mess with the PhD. Listen, let every man be a liar. Let God be exalted as the truth. I believe what the Bible says. All this crazy stuff. And we're afraid to say anything. Oh, oh, we don't want to say anything because, man, people think we're weird. I, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. If they do, big deal. Better be known for that than just going along with the crowd. So again, let me just show you this last, last just the beauty of preaching. So in Romans 10, 13, this is what Paul says. Forever shall call, and put it on the screen for you, forever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then how will they call on him and who <clears throat> they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they've not heard. And how will they hear without a... Now that doesn't mean me. That means in your small groups, in your Bible studies, in your teaching times, when you proclaim God's word, people are hearing and the faith is rising because they're hearing truth. But he says, how will they preach unless they are sent? For it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And then we look at verse 17 what I've been quoting to you. Look what it's tied to. So the faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. There's a correlation that goes in there. How will they ever hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they're sent? If faith's going to come from the word of God from preaching, then people have to be sent. It just don't happen. I mean, as good as y'all are, you walk by people downtown Rome, you walk by the sidewalk, they just don't feel Jesus. I mean, I know you might, y'all are great, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, when you walk by them, they don't just go, whoo. Hey, excuse me. I just felt something. Can you tell me what that was? That's almost like what we want now. You come ask us, and then we'll tell you about Jesus. Come and, come and, come and ask us, and we will tell you. That's a Pharisee's mentality. We're supposed to proclaim that which we believe. So let me tell you a little story about a guy, and then we're going to wrap up. So one of the guys in our church that we've been supporting since when I came on the church um, in 2002, been here a while doing stuff, but around 2006, I became a, an associate pastor and I was supposed to develop an outreach program for missions, global missions, local missions, all that kind of stuff. One of the guys that I interviewed um, came highly recommended from an organization and he, um, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, you meet somebody and you go like, I, I really don't know. Um, he's telling me this, tell me that. But the Holy Spirit was just like saying, him. Like, I just knew. He, I, I don't know what it, I couldn't really put my finger on all of it. I'm going back before my committee and saying, look, this guy, we need to pick him. And I said, we're going to put a lot of money towards this. It was like, he got the most at first. And they said, why? And I couldn't really, I just said, look, I just really feel like that, that I feel like God's going to use him. And so his name is Ariel Acuna. And I want you to see something. I'm going to put something up for you here. This is one family. It's one preacher. And the support from one church. Okay? And I'll show you some pictures of them in a moment. But this is the Cunha family. We've been supporting them since 2006. 
this church, just for this one missionary, so, so, the best records I have, I know for the fact this is how much we have given over $126,000 to his ministry. This is in Southeast Asia, by the way. Over 100 churches have been planted that I know of, more than that. And over 40,000 people have been saved. Do you understand? Do you hear that? That's one missionary. Since the time we've been here, I know for a fact by just looking over the, from the outreaches and stuff, not it goes into this church, it goes out, either locally or globally. We've been over a million bucks out to different outreaches. I know for a fact of that. It's more than that, but I know for a fact those numbers are right. This is Ariel and his wife, Paz. They've been over there in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Cambodia, Myanmar, Vietnam, Laos. Very difficult regions to get into. Over half the world's population lives in Southeast Asia. Half. Almost 3.7 billion people. It's crazy. I mean, the whole region of Asia, rather. And they, they have a crazy God-sized goal, man. Like reaching, like, millions of people a year. It, it's amazing. But his thing is, he couldn't do it if he wasn't sent. And we're not the only church that helps him, but we're one church that helps him. This is him and his wife. <clears throat> the next slide here, this is, uh, I'll show you this, just a picture. Of, this is their, some of the graduates from the Bible college they set up. They're not like us. They don't have big churches like this. They'll go to a venue and do this, and then they'll do home churches everywhere. And then um, the next slide here, this is his team. We're going to pray over them. And what I want you to see is this, is that this is a team that started out with one family. Those people were not there in 2006. No one was there. This guy's like an apostle Paul. It's crazy. In a good way. But I want to, we're going to pray over them. And I want you to see the power of the preaching of God's word. Why we talk about why do we tithe? Why do we give? This is one of the reasons. We, we don't just say it because we want to buy stuff. We actually do without so we can send to there. There's some things we could do here, but I don't care. I'd rather, what, let me ask you a question. Have we got 40,000 people saved? No. Wouldn't you rather invest in that? Yeah. Because when you get to heaven, God's going to say thank you. Cornerstone Church for investing in a ministry overseas and not just spending it on yourself. That's why we do what we do. So as we pray for them today, instead of wondering, well, why does pastor talk about this? Why this? Why not just accept the truth of God's word and see the benefits of why God says, as a church, why do we tithe out of the church? That's why right there. So I want you to take me just a moment right here. Let's pray for them, and I'm going to pray for you before we go. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for Ariel. Thank you for Paz. Thank you for the <clears throat> Asian Mission Outreach. Thank you for what they're doing over there, Lord. Thank you, God, for all the work that they've done. I thank you, Jesus, for the souls that have been saved, Lord. Over 40,000 people, God. Lord, I, I don't even know how to put a uh, just a huge thank you for letting us be a part of that. I thank you, God, for the generosity of this church and being able to help organizations like this that are all over the world that we have partnerships with. And I thank you, God, that we're just expecting, Lord, another 40,000 people to be saved. God, that they'll reach over 100,000 people with, for Christ, Lord, and through our partnership. And I just thank you for it, God. I ask you to do a mighty, mighty work in Asia through their ministry. Lord, I pray for those that are in this room right now that they don't know you or those watching online right now that may not know Christ. If you're listening, you don't know Jesus. The Bible says this, that if you want to know how to be saved, you call upon the name of the Lord. And so right now I'm going to pray for you. And so why, Pastor, do we pray this for every week? Because somebody might be in here that doesn't know the Lord. And the scriptures say this, if you're going to call on the name of God, 
You believe in your heart <coughs> that which you hear, and then you confess with your mouth unto salvation. So I'm going to say a prayer, and you're going to pray with me. The whole church is going to pray with you right now. Just repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, <coughs> I call on you, and I ask you, Lord, to save me, to forgive me, and to cleanse me. Lord Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life, and I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, we're so proud of you. If you prayed that prayer, would you give me a hand, church? Pardon me. Listen, right now where you are in the seat back in front of you or online, if you're watching there, you can do this in here as well online. You can go to connect.cornerstonerome.com. We'd love to pray for you, help you get started walking with God. You take a moment just to fill that out. We'd love to connect with you and get you some materials, help you get started walking with God. And so before we go today, we always like to declare this over you. So would you stand to your feet before I pray this over you today? And I just want to show you today the beauty of your partnership, the gospel, that uh, with an organization that, um, I don't know about you, but I wish I could say I've gotten 40,000 people saved myself, but I haven't. But it's a beautiful thing to know that I've partnered with somebody who has. And I don't know about you, but that, man, that does my heart good. That does my heart good. So before you go today, this is out of Numbers. We love to speak this over our church before we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you so much. You're dismissed. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.